Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. It was a few days into our honeymoon, my wife and I, in which we were in the British Virgin Islands, and we decided to go sailing. Uh, I had never been sailing before, but at the place we were staying at, they had these little catamarans that you could take out and rent on your own to take out into this little bay. And so we decided three or four days in, hey, let's go and rent out these catamarans and enjoy this beautiful day. And so we went down there and we talked to the instructor. And I was expecting some level of high intensity instruction. We got none of that. Instead, the guy that was doing the instructions just gave us our little catamaran, our little bitty sailing vessel, and he was showing us these two ropes. And he just goes, if you pull this one, you'll go left, and you'll pull this one, you go right. Have fun. And so I was like, wow, sailing's easy. (laughs) And uh, for a little bit, I was right. We went out, and I just was having so much fun. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful bay. It was a beautiful bride. And so we were just going out there, and the wind just kind of took us. And it was this amazing moment, this picturesque moment with all these little things going on. And the truth was, all I was thinking about in that moment was this amazing reality that my new bride was just looking up at me in all adoration because I wasn't just a godly man that had committed my life to her, but I was a sailor, right? Even though the wind was doing like all of the work and I had really just let go of the ropes because we were just enjoying the wind pushing us further and further out into the bay until about four minutes in, I looked up and I saw this mountain of rocks just right in the middle of the bay. And so I started to scramble and try to find the ropes and it was too late. We just crashed right into those rocks. And for the next hour, I spent trying to hold it in on the inside. Uh, But internally I was deeply frustrated because we were just slamming back and forth into these rocks over and over. And she, when she would ask, hey, do you need help? I was like, no, I'm fine. I mean, no, I'm fine, babe. I got this going on. Like, everything's good. But I was like, come on, like, get off of these rocks. And there was nothing I could do to fix the situation. And so not only did we crash, but all my hopes and dreams of she looking at me as this wonderful seafaring sailor crashed as well because there was nothing I could do to get us off of these rocks and get us back to shore. And so I mentioned that to you because as we navigate life, uh, God has really given us these two things to hold on to, and it's not really all that complicated, that, that we are here to hold on to both God, but then also one another. And as we've been moving through the book of Ephesians, we've so far really focused in on how do we hold on to God. In chapter one, we looked at just all these blessings that we have in Christ, that we have a new identity and we have a new purpose and we have a new mission, that we're wrapped up in Christ alone. And then we prayed that we would know this God more fully. And then in chapter two, we looked at the gospel message that we are saved from the wrath of God and moved into a new relationship with God, that we were dead and he made us alive in Christ alone that we were enslaved to our sins, but he set us free and now we're reigning with him. And yet it's my growing conviction as I walk with Jesus that so many of us, we miss the second half of the gospel. 
Like for me, for years, I just kind of thought it was Jesus and me was all I really needed. And, and if I had my Bible and my journal and I was on an island, like I was going to be good. And yet Jesus won't let us go there. That when Jesus came, he preached a peace, both between you and God, yes, but also between us and one another. And the world needs to see that more than ever. That we as God's people are connected, yes, back to God. That, that the cross has a vertical component, that we have a peace with God, but it also has a horizontal component. That we hold on to the tether of who God is and what he's done for us, but then we also reach out and we hold on to one another. And as you look around in the landscape of our world today, what would it be like for the world to actually see the church be what it was meant to be? A group of individuals coming together and despite their differences, find unity and peace in Christ alone. The world needs that. I love what John Stott says. He says, I wonder if there's anything more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel that the church should be a model of human community a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and each other. Only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker and only then will God receive the glory due to his name. That at Jesus in John 17, he prayed for us and one of the things he prayed for us is that we would be one even as he and the father and the spirit are one. That is a high call that we would walk in a unity together and not just hold on to the rope of the gospel in God, but we would hold on deeply to one another. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna be looking at, a peace that we have in Christ. And in order to do that, we're gonna be in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and as we look at this, we're gonna see these kind of three different realities, and these three different realities lead us to these three different responses, that we're gonna see that we have a peace with God, and therefore we remember but we also have a peace with one another and therefore we reconcile. And as we understand these two realities, we would see that we, a City Bridge Community Church, are better when we're together. And so it's time to rebuild something in Christ alone. That's where we're moving this morning. That's where we're going. And it's my hope is that as we hold on to these two realities, a deep connection with God, and a deep connection with one another, then we can navigate this world and find life and joy and peace in Christ alone. And so first up, we're gonna be looking at this peace with God, and, and because of this reality of a peace with God, we are called to remember. And so verse 11 says this, it says, therefore, so based on everything we've just talked about in chapter two of the gospel, that you were saved by grace through faith, therefore remember, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Hold on to that, we're gonna come back to it. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so I want us to look really closely at this word, remember, remember. 
that this word remember is the only command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Ephesians breaks into those two parts, that you have this wealth in Christ in chapters one, two, and three, and then you're called to walk in Christ in chapters four, five, and six. And the first and only command, the only thing that he's calling you to actually go and do is to remember to recall to mind a reality that you were once far away and Christ brought you near and to nerd out for a moment, this word remember is the present active imperative, which means this, that it is a moment by moment, ongoing obedience to the Lord, simply to remember your own story of grace. That's what that word means. That each and every moment we are called to remember and to reflect on what God has done for us, that we are tethered in to God and yet we're tethered into one another. And this passage is actually gonna give us five different things to recall to mind, to remember. The first thing is that we are separated from Christ. That there was a time in your life that if you're now in Christ, if you come to trust the goodness and grace and gospel of Jesus the Christ, that there was a moment in time in your life that that was not true of you, that you weren't connected to God, And not only that, were you not connected to God, you weren't connected to other people, that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, God's people. So these two realities of being connected with God and having peace with God and having peace with one another, those were both disconnected from you. You had let go of that and you had never held on to it. And because of that, you were strangers to the covenants of promises. All the promises in scripture that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ alone, all of them were no to you. And because of that, we were without hope because we were without God in this world. The scriptures calls us to pause, to reflect, to remember what our life was like before we came to know Jesus. We were separated from God, separated from one another, separated from the promises of God and therefore had no hope and were without God in this world. I mean, look at these words separated, alienated, strangers. Each one of those words is meant to imply that in every conceivable, possible way before Christ, you were an outsider. Someone that had no connection to anything of God or his people. That we're supposed to pause and remember that, to feel that, to remember where that led us, to remember the wreckage that we were walking in and the hopelessness that we were in, that we were in our lives dashing against the rocks with no hope because we were without God in this world, that we remember this. But then we remember that into that moment, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That we are to remember these things, that we were once far away, yet he brought us near. And so I had so much fun this past week. I, I, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, hey, what, what stirs your affections for God? Or, or how do you remember God's faithfulness in your own life? And so I just shot out an email to different people in our body and I just asked them that, that general question. Hey, what do you do to remember God's faithfulness so that you were once far away and Christ brought you near? What are some common things that you do or maybe some creative things that you do? And I just got this amazing list of about a dozen people that responded back. And so I just wanna share them to you because they blessed my heart this week because I got some creative things that I do, but I looked at this list and I go, I wanna try this. I wanna try that. And so let me read these to you. This is how people in our body cultivate the practice of remembering. 
They said, I listened to Christian music from around the time I first trusted Christ. It reminds me of how much transformation I saw in those early years of my Christian life. I go into nature and I remember that he takes care of all of this and therefore I know he's gonna take care of me. I confess my sins to my brothers in Christ and this reminds me that I've been forgiven and I'm not in the fight alone. I share my story of grace to to other people because it's just a great reminder of where I was and where I am now. I watch movies in which the hero must sacrifice himself for the sake of others. That one was mine. Shouldn't surprise anyone in here. I lead people through region. Even though I've gone through the material so many times myself, I go through it again just to remember where I was and where he's brought me from. I remind myself of my own sin when other people share theirs. And this gives me a compassion and an empathy towards them knowing that I have been rescued from the same types of sins. I look at a painting I painted right after my divorce of Ecclesiastes 3.11 every single morning and it reminds me of God's love and faithfulness in the darkest moments of my life. I set alarms on my phones throughout the day and it lets me pause and reflect for a moment and to remember God's faithfulness. I, I memorize scripture, specifically ones that talk about our new life in Christ. I journal out blessings and, and prayers asked and prayers answers. I have a card in my wallet that I pull out and it says everything I am in Christ. I remember with my family by each year pulling out a book of remembrance and, and, and reading through everything we've seen God done in our story and then writing everything we've seen God do throughout this year. I remember with my kids at every single one of their birthdays, I take time and I celebrate how I've seen God move in their lives. Let's go. Like I read those this week and I just kept on getting them this week and I just, I was so overwhelmed by this amazing creative and common ways just to remember, to reflect on. I was talking to Kegler earlier this week and he says, this is one of those disciplines that is so essential to the Christian walk and so ignored in the Christian life. That as I've read through and I'm studying through Ephesians over and over and over, it just keeps on repeating itself over and over and over again. And it just keeps reminding us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we were and where we are now because of him. And so for those of you that have those practices of remembering, man, God bless you. Keep them up. Keep reminding yourself moment by moment, day by day, all that God is and all that God has rescued you from. And if you don't, man, take one of these things that I just read and put that into practice or or talk to someone in your community group and say, hey, how do you remember? And give those things a try. Because when you remember where you were before Christ and where you are now, it changes the way you see yourself. But it also changes the way you see others. You see, we have a peace with God and therefore we remember. But we also have a peace with others and therefore we reconcile. We reconcile. And that's where the passage goes next. It says in verse 14, it says, for he himself, Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in the place of the two, 
So making peace and, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And so when he came, he preached peace to those of you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, through Jesus, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. And so here's the reality. As you read this passage or just heard this passage, or maybe you studied this passage this week, you were kind of come across some kind of interesting phrases and ideas that for us who are in a different culture and context than where this was written, you might've tripped over parts of it. Like there's parts that talk about like this group called the circumcision and they're making fun of people that aren't circumcised. And there's words like dividing wall of hostility and abolishing laws and the commandments and ordinances. And it might be one of those things that's easy to gloss over. But there's something happening here that's so rich and so good that is one of the predominant themes of your Bible, of what God is doing with humanity, that we need to pause. And we need to do a little Bible history lesson. So let's get in that magic school bus and let's go back in time a bit and let's remember the reality of that this book right here was written to real people in a real time with real issues. And so one of the predominant issues throughout the entire Bible is that the Bible is going to divide the world into two separate groups, Jew and Gentile. Uh, the Jewish people were, were the people chosen by God. They were chosen by God specifically in Genesis 12. And then in Exodus 19, they were called to be a kingdom of priests, that God would say, I'm gonna bless you so that you can go and bless the world and call all people to come to me and to know me, that you would be a city on a hill, a light that would shine out to the world. And yet what they did for generation after generation was an absolute terrible job. So much so that by the time of Jesus in the New Testament, what was happening is the Jewish people began to see themselves and their position and their connection with God as something to boast themselves up and to look down upon other peoples, namely the Gentiles. Gentiles were everyone else. So you had Jews and you had Gentiles. And so the word Gentile is literally the Greek word ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnicity. It was everyone else. And so when the Jew thought of a Gentile, they thought of someone that was unholy, unrighteous, unclean, uncircumcised. You don't follow the practices that we follow and the covenants that we get. And so therefore you are unworthy of our God and ourselves. That's what happened when the Jew looked at the Gentile. When the Gentile looked at the Jew, they saw someone that was dirty, a nuisance, and someone that didn't play the game in the country that they were in. And so we just had to tolerate them. So you had these two separate groups that were deeply divided because they had some differences. And instead of coming together under the unity of God and now through Christ, they just divided and those divisions led to destruction. That there was a deep history of wars, of slavery, of oppression, of persecution between both groups. And so you have these two groups that were socially, economically, ethnically, religiously, and politically different. Does that sound familiar? But like, like I, I, I want to imagine what it would be like to live in a world in which people have differences of political opinions and people have differences of, of maybe ethnicities, and so they see that as a, a source of division and, and destruction towards one another. Like, imagine just hypothetically living in that world. 
It's not hard. That's the world we still live in today. That, that we live in a world right now that looks at our differences and those differences lead to division. Those divisions lead to destruction because I don't look like you and therefore, therefore there's some division here. There's some differences. And so because I'm an us and I'm gonna gather together a bunch of us's, all of a sudden I've created a them and us's aren't like them and they're different than me. They talk different than me and they have a different history. They have a different background. They have a different whatever. And so therefore, instead of welcoming them in, the human tendency is to do what? to see our differences and divide and then destroy. That we, in our world today, look at people with different backgrounds, social classes, politics, gender, age, ethnicities, you name it. And we see people that are a little bit different and we divide and we downgrade and we seek to destroy them in some way. And so what God is doing with these two groups, Jew and Gentile, who couldn't be more different is he's bringing them together under one banner of Jesus Christ. That he's not making the Jew look a little bit more like the Gentiles or the Gentiles look a little bit more Jewish. No, he's bringing them together under the new humanity of Jesus the Christ. And he's showing us that if he can do that with them, then he can do that with anyone. Because they're not uniting under some political this or some ethnic that. But look at the passage in verse 14. They are uniting in Christ alone. It says, for he himself is our peace. That word he is emphatic in the Greek. That's why we translated he himself, that it's double downing on the fact that Jesus alone is what unifies us. And it says that he himself is our peace. Four times does it mention the idea of peace in there, that he isn't just bringing peace, he is objectively our peace. And he's making peace and he's preaching peace to those who are far away and preaching peace to those that are near. And so he himself is our peace. And I love that word peace because it both means the absence of conflict, but then also the presence of what things should be like. It comes from the Hebrew word shalom. It was the greeting of the Jews to other Jews that they would walk up and they would say shalom and they would leave saying shalom. It was their version of aloha. And what they would say is this. They weren't just saying hello. They were saying, hey, there's nothing between us. And not only is there nothing between us, but I am for you. And Jesus is saying that he is creating a peace between two very different groups coming together under his banner alone a shalom, that he is ceasing and stopping old conflicts, but he's starting a new community, that he's ceasing and stopping these old conflicts. If you look at our passage, it says that he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, and he did this by dying for that hostility, and he did it by killing that hostility when he took that hostility upon himself. And this word here, dividing wall of hostility, everyone that would have read that in the first century would have had this mental picture come up in their minds. You see, the Jews had this place that they would go and worship called the temple. And in this temple, there was a literal, physical dividing wall around it. And so the Jews were allowed inside, but outside, that was known as the court of the Gentiles, that they weren't allowed in. They weren't allowed close to God. And this physical wall 
created an emotional and personal and spiritual wall between these two groups. And what did Jesus just say he did? He said he tore that down. He tore it apart. So much so that when you read the book of Revelation, it talks something about this temple and it says that all the gates are wide open and the nations are coming in one after another. That he's stopping old conflicts, but he's setting up a new community. It says that he did this, he stopped this old conflict by four different times, it uses the word one. He's made a new humanity because he himself in one body went to the cross for everyone. I don't know if you know this, but the church is not a collection of common friends and common allies and people that have commonalities. The church is a collection of common enemies, people that shouldn't fit with one another and yet somehow do. They're not trying to find commonalities and common interests. They're finding community in Christ alone. That if you are in Christ, you are a part of the most ethnically, nationally, worldwide movement that the world has ever seen. That there are people, and it's growing more and more, and we will spend eternity with every tribe, every nation, celebrating together our one God and our one King Jesus. He is taking away old dividing lines. He's stopping the conflicts, but he's setting up a new community. We get that in Christ alone. And so it's interesting. Um, it's so easy to fall into this trap. Like it's so easy just to kind of walk in this reality that I just am gonna gather together people that just look like me and talk like me. Like when I first started here a couple of years ago, uh, I got into a meeting with Kyle Kegler, our lead pastor here, and he just goes, hey, I need you to start a directional team. A directional team, every team around here has a, a group of individuals that kind of help one individual kind of lead the team. And so I was the men's equipping director and he says, hey, go and get a bunch of men and invest in them and then have them kind of help you lead this team, this ministry. And so I go, great. I was new here and so I started networking. I started getting out, started talking with people and I started to get a list and I brought that list to Kyle. And I was so excited I had this amazing list of, of individuals and I showed it to him and he looked it over and he goes, okay, um, these guys are great. Uh, they're faithful and uh, here's the problem. They're all you. Like, they're all a version of you. Like, they all have the, kind of the same personalities, the same stage of life, the same giftingness and I was sitting there going, yeah, what a team, Right? I'm gonna have so much fun with them for a little while, then I'm probably gonna tick me off at some point. And uh, he just goes, no, 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 that, that's not a team. That's just a little clone army you've made. He said, what you need is a group of different individuals coming together with different gifts and different personalities and different ages and different temperaments and all these different things. And they're gonna come together and it might be hard, it might be difficult, but they're gonna make you better and they're gonna make the ministry better. And so I went out and did that and he was right. It was hard and it was difficult. But then all of a sudden I began to see how much those men blessed me. And not only did they bless me, I got to bless them, and we together got to bless the ministry. There's something beautiful about when different people with different gifts and passions and skills come together under one unifying force to accomplish one mission. That's why we love the Avengers, right? 
bunch of different heroes coming together and on their own, they're pretty good. They can kind of stop some evil foes, but not Thanos. They gotta come together in one assembled force to defeat the guy. And when they come together, they are better together, right? That's why we love those movies. But the reality of it is there is something deeply ingrained in the human heart that we just like to gather ourselves around people that look like us and talk like us. And you know why that is? So at the heart of every single sin is the fact that you believe that you're God. You believe that your way is right, your thoughts are correct, your way is best, and if everyone would just do the things that you would do, the world would be a better place. And so when you see someone that looks different than you, talks different than you, has different giftings than you, personalities than you, they become a threat to almighty you. And we Christians are really good at setting up new dividing walls that Jesus has come to destroy. We're really good at that. Look at church history. Look at your own. And the world divides over these things. Like we set up these different dividing walls with race and tribalism and nationalism and gender and age and income and status and position and mask. And it's good to have discussions over these things. It's good to dialogue. But when we start to dividing, we begin to destroy and we look exactly like the world and not the oneness that Jesus died for. And we start living in our own little personal hells. C.S. Lewis, whenever he envisioned what hell must feel like in, in, the, in the great divorce, this allegory, he said it was like this place in which people would start in this one singular neighborhood right at the middle of hell, but then they would see things that were different about the people around them, and so they would move down the street. Then they would move across town. Then they would move across the state, and before long, everyone was just separated further and further away from another. And he said, you know what hell must feel like? Utter isolation from God and from one another. And for some of you right now, you're living in your own personal hell because you have isolated and you've divided. And what we need right now in our world today is us coming together. That Jesus doesn't make us blind to our differences, but he allows us to see the beauty of our differences. That when we come together in Christ, we can be uni un united in him and not just uniform in which we're all the same. He brings a beauty in the fact that though we are distinct and equal in Christ, we can be united in him. And so we have got to get really comfortable being around people that aren't like us. That if you are in Christ and somebody else is in Christ, it doesn't matter what makes them different than you. If you are both in Christ, then their differences, your individual differences, may just be the strength of you together. And so what would it be like this week? In fact, challenge. This week, you grab that person in your community group that is the most different than you. And you know who that is. Because their face just came to your mind and you go get lunch with them, and you own the parts of yourself that you've seen their differences as a source of division, and you move towards them, 
because the bond of Christ is stronger than anything else. And you ask them a question, what is it about our differences that may just be together our strengths? And I'll guarantee you, when you start walking in that, I've had community groups throughout the years that I could not be more different from the individuals inside of that group. Like I literally would tell them, I don't think we would be friends outside of Jesus. And yet I'm so grateful that we are because I'm becoming who I'm meant to be because of how God's made you. And we need one another now more than ever. You look at this past year and all the brokenness and all the isolation, we need community, a with unity with one another. So reach out to someone this week because you'll find that you're better together. And that's when the passage goes next. That because we have a peace with God, we remember. Because we have a peace with one another, we reconcile. And when we grab a hold of those two realities, we will see the beauty that we are better together. So it's time to rebuild. And that's what the passage goes next. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of God. And so what this is showing here right here is the exact reversal of everything that's happened in verse 11, that at one point you were alienated, you were strangers, but right now you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but then it gives us these three beautiful pictures of what we are together as a church community, as City Bridge Community Church. And the first thing it says is that you are now fellow citizens with the saints, that we are a part of a kingdom of God, that we are under the new reign and rule of Jesus the Christ, that he would love us and lead us and lead through us and love the world around us, that we are fellow citizens, which is meant to emphasize our new rights as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But then it gets even more personal. It says you're a fellow citizen with the saints, but also you're a member of the household of God. That that's meant to emphasize a relationship, that we're a family together that we have brothers and sisters and yes, crazy uncles. We all have that, but we still come together because we are a family together. And then the last thing it points out is that we're a temple, this new holy temple of God and where a fellow citizenship was meant to show this, this role that we now have and the members of the household of God is this relationship we now have. Now we see this holy temple in which we have this new relationship with God and the world and it's all together. You see, the, the temple was this place where God would uniquely meet with his people. It, it was the place throughout the entire Old Testament that God would uniquely be present in. And what this passage is showing us right here, right now, is that Jesus is taking what's been divided and he's uniting it. He's taking the rubble of the dividing wall and he's making a new temple, a holy inhabited place of God. And did you catch it? It's all of us. It's all of us. That we are this new temple of God. And it says that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That was an idiom for the scriptures. 
that our foundation is the word of God, but then it says that Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And I love that word picture because what a cornerstone was, was this. It was the biggest, strongest, most perfect stone at the base of the foundation. And so in ancient ruins, they would find these, these cornerstones. And so right here was the foundation. And then you would have this perfect, strong uh, a stone that was built into the foundation and it would build up. And what would happen is all these individual stones would take their cues from the cornerstone. They would be perfectly aligned with the cornerstone as the cornerstone was strong enough to carry all of them as all these individual stones would build on the cornerstone, but then also build up one another. Like, this is an amazing illustration about what we are in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is strong enough to hold us all, that he's the most critical point of our foundation, what unites us, he himself is our peace. But he holds everything together and then we take our cues from him. And so we as individuals, we take our cues from Jesus, the perfect cornerstone. And there's parts of our life that are, that are rocky and he begins to smooth those out. But then we collectively build up one another. I love what Paul Tripp recently said. He said, your individual walk with Jesus is a community project. Your individual walk with Jesus is a community project because no one brick makes a building. But when we all build up one another, that's where strength is found. That's where strength is found. And so I would invite you to invite people into your prayer life. Invite people into your spiritual life. Pray with, pray for one another. Invite people into what you're learning in God's word. And then you go out in strength into a hurting and broken world because what's unlike the temple of the Old Testament, the temple of the Old Testament was stationary, but now we're mobile and we move out into the world and we invite other, others in that we might build them up in Christ alone. And this right here is the heart of our triune God. That's why verse 22 says this, that in him, in Christ alone, you are also being built together, built together into a dwelling place for God the Father by the Spirit of God. That the totality of the triune God wants this for your life that we need to hold on deeply to God, but then deeply to one another. And so my wife and I were out in the middle of that bay, and for a solid hour, all I was doing was trying to push ourselves off of the rock, and then the waves would just kind of crash us right back into it. Um, and so I had nothing I could do to get us back, and it was getting darker, and I was getting nervous until I saw our instructor get into a boat and come out for us. And I started waving him down and he waved back and then he just went straight on ahead, right past us. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like we've been out here for an hour. Clearly he has seen us and where is he going? And then all of a sudden I looked up. I looked at where he was going. 
because there was another newly married couple that was further out than we were. And he was going to get them. And he grabbed them, tethered them in, and then he brought them back to us. And me and the husband's eyes uh, met, and um, we were like, weird, right? I mean, the wind, what are you going to do? You know, like... But that instructor, he, he, he grabbed us both, tethered us in, and, and brought us back to shore together. And that's what Jesus has done. That we were all out there with no hope and without God in this world. And yet he came. And he preached peace to those that were near, but he went out far and he got the person that was furthest away from him. And he would bring them back in, tethered into himself on that cross, And when he raised to life, he brought us, yes, back to shore, back to God. But he also brought us back to one another. And so City Bridge Community Church, we have peace with God. So let's remember. We have peace with one another. So let's reconcile. Because we're better together. So let's rebuild something that the world would look at and say that's amazing because that is God at work in his people. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.